What's up, guys? Thanks for tuning in to the Athletic Lab Audio Inventory. Guys, uh, today I was thinking about a discussion topic about training around injuries. I know we have a lot of athletes that come in and um, they get hurt within their sport. Um, what do y'all think about training around injuries? How do y'all do it? How do y'all handle um, your athletes? How do you keep them in the gym when they're hurt on, in certain areas? What do y'all think? Um, let's go first. I usually start with depending on what the injury is. So if it's something that they're actually working with a physical therapist on, it's something more serious than say it's to the left knee. What the injury is, I'm assuming that that physical therapist, especially if I can talk to them, is basically training that knee effectively as much as it can handle. We might not think of it as training, but the rehab is as much as that can take. And I'm gonna somewhat ignore that side in, in our training. Maybe there's certain things that can help, uh, whether it's mobility work, soft tissue, depends on the injury, it might do that. But from a training standpoint, I'm gonna look elsewhere to pick up the volume that we couldn't get with exercises that that would have come into play with. Yeah, I, I agree with that for sure. Um, being in contact with a PT is, or a doctor is always key. I look at it as uh, an opportunity. A lot of times people look at it as injuries like, oh, it's the end all be all or this is terrible. Um, it can be for that, for that athlete, but I look at it as an opportunity to train weaknesses. Why did it happen in the first place? Or maybe they have a, um, a glaring upper body weakness, but they hurt their lower body. So now we can really focus on that without them thinking that we have to take complete training because we're trying to find different factors to put all together. But if their lower body can't be trained for three months, that's a perfect timetable for us to say, you know what, it's, this is bad, but let's make sure, let's make your upper body or other weakness core strength or something like that. Um, now a strength and not a weakness. So I look at it as an opportunity as well for athletes. I think that's important from personal experience and then just from like a sport psych side. Uh, being hurt and you can't practice with the team, can't play in games, can be pretty demoralizing. Yeah. So phrasing it in that way, like you said, you're going to train weaknesses, you're going to come out of this better. Right. A, it's a more positive spin, but also you can actually keep training. Be in the weight room with the rest of the team if you're not doing the same workout and be involved and still feel like you're part of it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm. Uh, <clears throat> one of the first things that I'm always looking to do and try to really hammer home is that an injury is not an excuse to stop training. Um, look for a plan B or C or whatever it is to keep training as much as you can and replicate what the ideal case scenario would be whether that is uh, coming as close to maintaining volume or maybe even exceeding normal volumes or um, training the weak side as you say or weak weak areas as, as uh, Drake pointed out um, and I think it's actually possible to come out the other side from an injury fitter, faster, stronger, that kind of thing, especially with team sport athletes that are maybe in season. It's really common for us here to have a team sport athlete uh, get injured and not be able to play their sport, but uh, be able to spend more significant time with us because of the controlled environment that we work in. is a little more predictable, a little less chaotic, a little more fitness-based rather than sport-based. Uh, it's pretty easy in a relatively short period of time to get someone fitter with concentrated fitness work than they would if they had to split their time between fitness work and more dedicated sport work. So you know, you, you can get a guy in relatively short period of time with uh, some injuries to 
return to play far fitter than they were before they got injured. Uh, and I think that's a good selling point. You know, it's a big mistake, I think, on a lot of coaches and athletes' parts to basically just use the injury as an excuse to stop training or to let things slide. And uh, when, in fact, you could uh, use that to your advantage, um, the other athletes don't necessarily have the opportunity to put in that dedicated fitness work um, or get stronger in a weak area or whatever it is because they have to do the ball work or the technical work or whatever but now we can spend that extra resources to just work on fitness and strength and whatever it is yeah I think that's a key point especially if you're dealing with I mean I guess not really pro athletes as but all types of athletes I mean their seasons are very short so if you have a high school level athlete that has a injury they're trying to go play college if they completely stop say it's an ACL injury um, that's a long time for them to not train if they're like well I can't train to my knees better well, they've just lost not only the time that they lost in sport, but they also lost training. They might never get back to where they needed to get to to make a college to get that Division One offer. Or if you're a pro athlete, you lose a year. The NFL, pro soccer, MLS, any of those teams, they're very quick to find a player that's ready to play. So if you, you lose a year of training, I think it's, it's dumb uh, on your part to say, you know, I can't train because all you're going to do is lose your spot. You're going to lose your... Um, contract. If that you lose a whole year and then another year and a half of training, um, you should look at it as an opportunity to say, you know what, I got to get better at these things. I don't, I can't, I'm not afforded this time just to sit here and not train because on the other end, whenever I am back, I may not be the same person because I took so much time off. And sports are very quick. I mean, if you lose two years of training and playing, you may not come back and may not get another opportunity like you have at this point. So I think it's. Uh, really dangerous to really stop training completely just because of an injury to one spot of your body unless it's like some major things you have to get that but if you most times we can train around anything for the most part somewhat knock on wood here i've been lucky this year none of my athletes i've trained have had a major injury such as an acl tear that would have that more commonly i'll see things pop up like quad tendonitis got a track and field athlete and also he's playing soccer after their soccer tryouts it was a pretty brutal couple of days for his high school team he's coming in and his knees bothering him on that he's had quad tendonitis before he knows what it is there and so that's something that I probably more commonly see and then training around that is been something that I'll see more often and not have that much trouble with so that particular day we were slated to do squats and switch that to an RDL. So that was an advantage we could, or a situation where you could still get a big strength stimulus, make it a little bit more hip dominant, and it took some of the stress off of the quad itself, and he was able to still handle that session, get what we wanted out of it, even if it wasn't the exact way I planned. Do you guys see any contacts like that frequently and maybe some uh, common substitutions you might make? Yeah, I mean, I had one uh, where I was training a hockey player. Uh, they're always on the ice, a little different. The impact of sprinting, we started sprint training with them, they actually uh, they started to get shin splints because they just weren't ready for the volume and the impact. So they're, we had to talk to them and try to figure out. They wanted at first, they were like, we need to just completely stop all impact activities. Um, and so we pulled it back, but we had to get creative and figure out different ways, like uh, the rower or the machines that take out a lot of impact forces, but they can still push a lot of force um, to try to get that power output. I see... Um, you just have to get creative a lot of times with those different injuries. Like you said, you did an RDO instead of um, a squat because you have tendonitis, but you're still going to get a huge strength stimulus. I think getting creative uh, with those common injuries is, is key because as a coach, um, they kind of keep you on your toes. You have someone coming, they're going to get injured, uh, but it makes you get you at the outside thinking outside that box of 
oh, I'm just going to squat heavy and sprint was like, well, we got to figure out the same stimulus, but how do we get it achieved with these small nagging injuries so they don't turn in a quad tendonitis doesn't turn into a quad rupture or things down the road, but you still have to keep training them. I think that's a key point is being creative and getting kind of outside the box thinking. Yeah, I think you want to <clears throat> keep it as close as possible to plan A. Um, you know, and then it just comes down to what was plan A and then what is the injury, how does it limit your ability to do plan A? Whether that's changing the exercise selection or uh, changing the focus from lower body to upper body in the weight room or moving away from a specific uh, loading pattern, as Drake said, say going from impact to non-impact or maybe the person can't handle uh, high eccentric, so you have to go to isometric, or maybe it's tendonitis, or so you have to go to hip extension dominant type move, movements rather than something that might stress patella uh, tendon. So, yeah, as close as you can get, and then you get creative and and try to figure out equivalencies of uh, volumes and intensities. Some things don't match really well uh, in terms of finding equivalencies. It's really hard to say match the intensity of a rowing piece to say sprinting. <clears throat> but if your only option is to do rowing because the person maybe has uh, a stress fracture or something like that, then you use the rower or use the bike. Well, how do we start to marry or match the uh, intensities with our substitution with what we had actually planned? Um, you know, uh, time frames are one. Intent is another thing. So we, we basically go with the same intent. If, if we're sprinting, obviously the intent is quite high. Time frames are going to be under six seconds or so. So your reps should be about six seconds or less if we're trying to put that on the rower or the, uh, the bike or wherever. Uh, we then um, have to make sure that the intent is real high and that, that the rest and recovery is sufficient. Um, with some of these activities, we're going to have to look at things like volume equivalencies and in certain ones especially when we're trying to sub out um, shock loading or high impact loading with a lesser impact loading activity say going onto a bike or rower or even going into a pool I think you need to significantly increase the volume um, you know my, my general rule of thumb is to use the same time frames intense um, intensities and so forth but do as much as 50% maybe double the total volume so if I had perhaps something like 8 times 30 meters planned 8 times 30 meter sprints that's roughly 8 times 4 or 5 seconds of high intensity effort uh, I might do as much as 16 of those bouts on a bike or a rower still keep the duration as short about 4 or 5 seconds um, if we were on a bike, maybe a little bit longer if we were on a rower because the rower has intermittent built-in rest already uh, in there every time you you uh, recycle on the on the stroke. There's a little bit of a rest period where we can uh, recover slightly. Um, so I'm trying to match that and if, if I can or if I need to, I'll increase the volumes because again, we have we're taking out a lot of things a lot of times, whether it's their sport practice or the plan A options, so how can we not only fill in the gaps, but maybe do a little bit extra? And uh, I use the guideline of about 50 to uh, you know 100 extra percent in terms of volume loading if I am able to 
match intensities. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, if you're taking out impact forces, I mean, you have to kind of plow, think about if since we're, if that's part of our program and from plan A, you have to be smart with, all right, I still need to get the same stimulus, try to get as close as I can, like you said, the same stimulus. So a lot of people don't think about the volume aspect. They're like, well, I want to do six sprints. I'm going to do six sprints on the bike, not taking into account how hard on the body the eccentric force, the impact forces from sprinting for six reps compared to a bike, which you are mainly pushing through without the eccentric forces as much. So adding in that volume by double is a really smart piece. Um, what do y'all think about um, if you have a single side that's injured, say you hurt your right shoulder, do you train the left side? Do you completely take it out? I know asymmetries are a big thing. We don't want to cause another injury down the road. Um, but I've seen some research for saying if, as long as like the more of the neural pathways, if we're training the arms, there's some dual, they're kind of still correlated together. Um, the pathways are still there. So it's completely stopping I think is bad, but at the same time you have to kind of play it. Um, you have, to fit, you have to figure out the smart balance between the two so you don't completely lose all the the uh, muscle mass and all the, the strength gains that you've made on the upper body, but what do y'all think about training the, the non-injured side when the injured side is uh, kind of hindrance at that point? I absolutely train the non-injured side for that same exact reason. Um, you're at minimum gonna maintain what you have on that non-injured side, which would be good, but you're potentially gonna improve there. And like I said in earlier, say it's the right side that's injured. If you're working with a physical therapist, that right side isn't necessarily just doing nothing. Potentially, it's gonna actually still be trained to the limit of what it can be. And in a little bit more advanced stage of that rehab process, the better you as a strength coach can understand that specific injury, the more you can then see what exercises are going to still be appropriate and the way you can start picking up that volume again. I haven't seen it get to the point when you create a massive asymmetry out of a cartoon where you've got a giant left arm and just a bone on the right side. Yeah. Um, I'm, I've never been afraid of that happening after seeing the same research you were talking about. I first was introduced to that in 2012 when I was at Boyles for the summer there. And we talked about that uh, when we had a girl coming in with an ACL injury, yeah. still doing single leg deadlifts on the other side still doing single leg squats, getting the training stimulus where they could. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think it's, uh, like you said, having this cartoon character, having like one big arm and one small arm, it really doesn't happen. I think you just have to be smart. Like if you're dealing with if us as coaches, we can kind of control those factors. Um, but sometimes athletes will take it upon themselves to, all right, well, if I can just keep training hard and they may just grab the biggest dumbbell and just maybe push that extra limit, be like, all right, well, we're still trying to gain it, but not to the point where you're just trying to make one arm bigger or one side stronger than the other, but um, definitely smart to keep training both sides and not completely stop the other side just because you have an injury. And even say in a healthy athlete, asymmetries in sport are normal, common, and possibly even advantageous. So say you are a right-handed pitcher, it's probably a lot more likely for you to get a right side injury when we're talking about shoulder or elbow or even like towards the scap scapular and the whole shoulder complex there. Right. So potentially this is now a situation you can start to actually bring yourself a little bit back towards the middle. That left side doesn't get that throwing volume. We can pick up some extra there yeah. and get to the point where the asymmetry isn't necessarily as glaring. For sure. I think it's, a, I mean, most sports you have, I mean, in soccer you're going to have one dominant, dominant leg. I'm sure that plant leg might have... Uh, different forces that it can control better than the other. The coordination with the right, the left side. You have throwing athletes from javelin 
I mean, to any to overhead tennis movement, I mean, you have, I think you have asymmetry. So I think when there is an injury, a lot of times people are like, well, I completely stopped. And it's, it's like, no, you might actually can keep that coordination and actually improve the opposite side to now that you don't have an asymmetry, you might be even more balanced after the injury, which mm-hmm. some people might find that's crazy. But the fact that they don't think of how much more volume, if you are right-handed, that you kind of just naturally go to your right hand, or if your plant leg is the same plant leg and you have the injury, and now I can train the other side a little bit differently. So... Um, it is interesting to see for sure how the body works that way. I look to, <clears throat> I look to train uh, non-affected side as well. Um, I think there are some, some considerations you have to take into account, um, it, it, but I think it needs to be done. Uh, I think you get about 20% crossover between limbs, I think. If, so if you train the non-affected side, we should get uh, some crossover effect onto the affected side. Um, what I am more concerned about is, say, becoming a, less becoming a hermit crab and having one gigantic arm and one little tiny arm is uh, less the limbs but more the uh, postural muscles and the spinal alignment because if all you're doing is holding, a, holding weight on one side, then uh, you can very quickly develop a trunk imbalance and I think that's where things can go awry a little bit so you have to train that a little bit Um, you know I I recently had a SI joint flare-up that kind of held me out of training for quite a while uh, really affected the right side and I was unable to do a lot of my normal training kind of weightlifting squatting that kind of thing and uh, did a lot of left lower back uh, stabilization type training and it's it's actually brought that side up quite a bit to where I'm totally pain free now I have a tendency to be hypertonic and have greater hypertrophy on my right lumbar area and I was able to uh, due to the what it was effectively forced rest from my normal training to spend some time remediating the the other side uh, Asymmetry isn't bad until asymmetry becomes bad, and then when when it gets outside of that, uh, I guess acceptable bandwidth, then that's where I think it becomes a concern because then it can kind of take over, so to speak. You know, if if it takes over, then it's only going to get exacerbated even more. Um, so I'd be uh, train the affected side, watch for how it impacts um, postural alignment and that kind of thing. Uh, if you can, you know, start to do more isolation type activities, perhaps, uh, to eliminate eliminate that, or look for exercises that can help offset it. So instead of doing just all single leg squats, um, you know, holding a, in a front rack or something like that, maybe consider doing leg extensions and leg curls because then you you don't get that uh, trunk asymmetry that you might might otherwise cause problems down the road. Another thing I found useful uh, in injuries in my past and with athletes is to use uh, uh, EMS, basically use some use some uh, electrical stimulation that'll help preserve hypertrophy at the very least in the affected side. And if we can preserve uh, muscle mass cross-sectional area, that's the groundwork for keeping strength. Um, you know, you get the neurological side with that 20% crossover by training the non-affected side and then you can maintain muscle mass without having to actually move the affected limb um, 
using either isometric contractions or uh, electrical stimulation. So look look for any possibility that you have to you know hold on to whatever you have in the affected side and then train around it. Yeah, that's key. Uh, working at a PT clinic for a few years, um, that was one of the big things coming off of surgery. The muscle just wasn't really couldn't turn it on, so they would put on e-stim units and it would fire to keep try to keep as much uh, quadricep or whatever muscle we were trying to fire with that unit um, to keep that same muscle mass to try to hold on to it. Um, but I think you bring up a key point with uh, postural alignments and things like that. Um, a lot of times I see athletes, if they have an ankle sprain, they don't realize how up, chain, uh, up the chain it affects your knee alignment into the hip, into the back. And so if you're, you might have a knee issue, an ankle issue, but then the uh, postural alignment is very key for sure. Yeah, when I uh, hurt my ankle or my foot recently uh, and was on crutches for uh, six months, and one of the things that ended up happening is, as I stood on the one leg and coached on one leg for several hours a day was that uh, the back pain was actually worse than, than the ankle pain or the foot pain. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you, so if you're in, uh, forced to move into unilateral asymmetrical stance, especially if you're forced to stand on that one leg all the time or use crutches all the time, that can really screw you up. Um, you know, I ended up having to get uh, regular acupressure and acupuncture on the on the non on the back, basically on the opposite side, because of these weird loading patterns that I wasn't used to, and that I wouldn't want to return to once the leg was fine. And then, quite often, the site of the pain is not the source in that case. So um, it was a little over two years ago now. Had a pole vaulting accident, badly hurt my left ankle wasn't a break but a pretty severe sprain and even once the ankle was at a point where rehab was considered over I would still get referred pain potentially either in the Achilles or up chain to the hip because that ankle was not stable yet and it's taken a long time for that last bit to finally heal up to the point where there was no hesitation there was no, nothing that was holding back there it's a little bit of a tangent from where we're getting on today but it comes back to understanding the injury that you're dealing with and yeah. how you can still train around it so some of this is general recommendations but a lot of it does come down to the specifics of the athlete and the injury for sure yeah i mean you got there's a lot of factors that go into it i know everybody's like well what about that one injury but the one injury has a lot of things that come into play the body doesn't work like um it works in synergy uh so if that ankles hurt so something else is kind of going up up chain you have to kind of keep that in mind as well as training around the injury is being smart with all your recommendations not leaving things out I think it just comes down to communication with the athlete, how they're feeling, and making sure they understand that it's important that us as coaches, we've been through injuries and we kind of understand how to get around them. And uh, it's very important for us to keep working with that athlete so they don't lose anything that they've already gained. And uh, we can actually still come out the other side even faster, stronger, and more powerful, even though we do have an injury. Um, it's still a key component to this for sure. All right, guys, that's it. Thanks for listening. If you like this, you can rate us. You can share this with your friends. And if you have a question, go to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Anchor, anywhere you can find us. Drop us a DM and we'll try to answer it when we can.